But we're glad you're here again at Grace. Thanks for being with us. Hope you're enjoying our service. And of course, you know I'm going to mention what happened last Sunday, right? You know how I told you that even though the Broncos were the underdogs, if they want, you know, when they win, it's just that much sweeter. Remember? It is. Yeah, I just want you to know that. Yeah, that was exactly spot on. So how many enjoyed the game? How many could care less? All right. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. All right. Well, it's Valentine's Day, and I know some of the men in the room haven't mentioned anything yet because they are planning to take you out to dinner as a surprise right after this service. So, you know, if you're wondering why your husband hasn't said anything, that's what he's doing. But sorry, sorry I messed that up, but uh, just know that. And if your wife hasn't said anything about Valentine's Day today, there's really no excuse for that. So... <laughs> I just want you to, let's just be square about what's going on. We're actually going to do a kiss cam, uh, but we shelved that idea, but maybe next time. So um, we are starting a brand new series next week. Uh, we're, we're excited about it. A, a lot of people, I think, have uh, in our world have a kind of a convoluted idea of who Jesus was, what he said, what he taught. And so next Sunday, we're, we're starting a, a series called Uncovering the Historical Jesus. And I'll have a little History Channel vibe, although I don't really like this stuff on History Channel when they're talking about Jesus. But it's going to have that kind of a, a vibe to it. And also, we're sending out a mailing. So you should maybe get a, a reminder of that in your mailbox this week. And we're hoping that uh, everybody will be there as we launch, launch that series. We're wrapping up a, a series today what, the, what God reveals about himself. It's been a series on doctrine. We've talked about who God is, Trinity. We've talked about God makes, God pays, God transforms. Just all these things, what God's teaching us. And today we're talking about God reigns, the doctrine of the kingdom. And, and when I say doctrine, what I mean by that is doctrine is just truth. Uh, the truth that we know from God's word. And doctrine is what we land on when life gets messy. Doctrine is what gives us stability in an ever-changing and unstable world. It's the truth that, that is our foundation. And so as we look at uh, God reigns, the doctrine of the kingdom, I, I basically want to just break that down into four parts. One is... God's kingdom. Two is our rebellion. Three is Jesus invites us back into the kingdom. And then four, our response. So we ready? Okay, we're ready. All right. God's kingdom. God, God creates. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 103, 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Basically, uh, to have a kingdom, you basically just need three things. You need a king, you need subjects, and you need a domain, a domain or a place in order to rule. And so when we think about God's kingdom, it takes us right back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 teach us that God created everything there is. He created time, matter, energy, the physical universe in six literal days. And then he rested on the seventh day to teach us a pattern of, of weekly rest, one in seven kind of a rest. And as a matter of fact, I want to kind of pick that up as we think back on that creation. 
as he does all that and he creates all types of creatures, he creates one special creature that he gives an ability to love. And in order to have the ability to love, we have to have freedom. And so he gives us this gift of freedom so that we could truly love. And then what happened is that gift uh, got abused. But here's, here's the way we pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, it's talking about spiritual death there, but here's the question. Have you ever wondered, why would God do that? He creates a perfect paradise for man. All these things that we can eat and, and enjoy and take care of ourselves with. And then right in the middle of it, there's this tree. Right in the middle of everything good, there's this one tree. Don't, except for that, don't touch that. Why, why would God do that? Well, here, here's why. Because it's a kingdom. And in that one rule, don't eat of this tree, that's establishing this principle that there's a kingdom, that there's a king, that we follow his rule. And it's not 50 rules, it's one rule. And there's a place for us to live, which in that case was paradise. And, and we see that in and man and woman enjoying paradise together. And we had everything. There was just that one rule. And that brings us to our rebellion. What we find out in the very next chapter of Genesis is that um, Satan comes along to Eve and also Adam and, and tempts them by saying, wow, whoa, paradise, the garden impressive, nice. God, God made a lot of nice stuff here. A lot of stuff for you to enjoy. It, it's great for you, ex except for one thing. You don't get that. You don't get the fruit on the tree. And, and, he, and he goes, if you had that, you could be like God. And Adam and Eve fell for it. And then they took and they ate of the fruit. But more than eating the fruit, what they were doing is really they were taking the crown. They destroyed the kingdom. Because that represented that God was in charge. But when they ate so they could be like God, they took the crown for themselves. And so what happened then is God expelled them out of the garden. But when they left, they were wearing their own little crowns. And then they started populating the earth with a bunch of other people who are all born with crowns. And by the way, if you don't think children are born with their own little crowns, you don't have children. Be because it doesn't take long to realize that kids want to do what they want to do. They want to be in charge of their own life. Same thing that we kind of do. And um, from that moment on, every human being has a crown, and we're all looking for a kingdom to rule. 
And that, because we wear our crown, it messes us up. It messes, messes, messes us up on the inside because we're really not equipped to wear a crown in God's universe. And be, because we do, it causes us to be angry and frustrated, to worry. To, we, we're, we do all this because things aren't the way we think they should be. And so it messes us up in our own hearts. It also messes up our relationships with other people. Because we're looking for a kingdom to rule. We're looking for subjects. And other people, they don't want to be part of our... And think about it. The kingdom of Kevin. It's so great. But nobody wants to be in my kingdom. Uh, how weird is that? I don't get it. That, that's what we do. We, we see this, you know, it's Valentine's Day. We see this in marriages, right? I mean, we spend our whole life wearing our crown, looking for a kingdom to rule. And then, uh, say, guys, we, we meet that special lady. And we start dating. And then we fall in love. And then and, and the whole time we're, when we fall in love, we're realizing, finally, here is somebody that wants to be part of my kingdom. And then we get married and we're sitting around the house and our wife walks into the room and she's wearing a crown. And we're like, well, where'd you get that? I didn't know you had one of those. I thought you wanted to be in my kingdom. And she says, what are you talking about? I've always had this. I thought you wanted to be in my kingdom. And then the struggle starts. Because we want to rule our own little kingdoms. But most of all, it messes up our relationship with God. In God's kingdom, he says, just don't do one thing. And we do the one thing. Because we say, no, I'll be in charge. I'll run my life the way I want to run my life. I'll do my thing. I'll do it the way I want to do it. And it just brings us problems. And it's interesting because when you talk to people who believe in God but don't really have an understanding of the gospel, what God's done for us, they don't really understand the kingdom. What they tend to say is, hey, I'm okay with God. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, someday I'll meet God and, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'll meet God and and God will, you know, he'll understand. He knows me and he cares about me and, and he'll understand and I'm good with God. Don't, don't worry about me and God. But they're failing to take into account that they've ripped the crown out of God's hand and have been in rebellion against God their entire life. And God's saying, you're not okay with God. You've rebelled. You've sinned against him and others. God's perfectly just sin has to be punished. It's not okay. Somebody has to pay the price. And what we find out is that our, because of sin, our relationship with God, the kingdom, is shattered. And we need outside help. We need intervention. And that brings us to our third point. 
Jesus comes to invite us back, to make a way to invite us back into the kingdom. That's, that's what he does. Think about it. It's kind of amazing because if we were creators and we created our own little world and we had some really cool stuff in there and we could do the whole life thing and we got that going and then we thought, yeah, that's great, but what if I could make a creation that was aware of me and, and sort of could love me back? You know, that's the freedom part. So then we take one special creation and we give them Freedom to love, because that can only happen with freedom. But then instead of loving each other and loving us back, they rebelled. They started shaking their little fists. They, they wore the crown. They said, I'm in charge. I'll call the shots. I'll do what I want. I, what, what would you, I, I think I know what most of us would do. You know, we would just go, let's start all over. But God doesn't do that. Because he loves. He doesn't do that. Even though our relationship was shattered, even though we've, we've messed all that up, he reveals himself to us. He carves out a people so that they can teach others about God. He, he gives us his standards like the Ten Commandments so that we could know. Mainly, it just so that we can be aware of our own sin, how bad we are, and, and that we need outside help. But all that happened through history, but all that was pointing to a time when Jesus would come. And in the fullness of time, Jesus came. And he brought with him the kingdom. And we can experience the kingdom now, but ultimately we will experience the kingdom completely fulfilled in the end times. But we can start right now through Jesus. And you might wonder, well, why does God send his son? Why does God do that? Because there's sacrifice involved in there. Pain. It's hard. Why would God do it? Because if God reached down and ripped the crowns out of all of our hands, we couldn't be free. So he makes a way through his son where that we can, in our freedom, be reconnected with God. Mark 1.14 says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the gospel just means good news. And that's the fact that Jesus came to die for our sins, to pay our price. And if we just respond in faith, we can have a right relationship with God. Our sins are wiped away. We're actually given the righteousness of Christ. We're exchanging our sin for his righteousness in God's eyes. And we can enjoy God forever. Just through faith. Just through belief. As a matter of fact, throughout the entire Bible, there's this theme running about Jesus. He is the rightful king. 
He comes, he preaches his first sermon in Matthew chapter 5. And he says, hey, blessed are, are those who mourn and blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He's teaching about the kingdom. And then at some point in there, he says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And after that, he starts talking about the law, what God said was right and wrong. He says, you've heard about murder. I'm telling you, if you even hate in your heart, you have sin. You've heard about not committing adultery. I'm telling if you're just, I'm saying if you're just thinking about it in your heart, you're sinning. You're, that's rebellion against God. And he gives us completely he tells us and teaches us all about God's kingdom. And it's make, really made to make us understand that we're not there, that we need Jesus. We need radical intervention. We need outside help to make us right with him. Think about it. It's kind of interesting because the disciples, they, Jesus teaches about the kingdom constantly through his three years of public ministry. He, he tells a bunch of parables, which are small stories uh, explaining spiritual truths. He teaches many parables about the kingdom, a whole bunch of them just in Matthew chapter 13. And he's doing all these parables about the kingdom. He's teaching about the kingdom. Well, the disciples are hearing all that, and they know that if there's a kingdom, then there must be a hierarchy. There must be a structure to it. They get Jesus is on top, but they're wondering what that hierarchy is going to be like. So they come to Jesus and they ask him, hey, Jesus, who will rule with you? Who's going to be the big shots in the kingdom? I mean, how's that structure going to look? And when Jesus answers their question, he gives them the most counterintuitive, countercultural, upside down, inside out answer that the world has ever heard. Here's what he says. In Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he, Jesus, called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus says, it's, oh, you guys have missed it. It's whoever takes the lowest position. Completely counterintuitive to us because we think in order to achieve greatness, we have to work. We have to achieve. We have to win. We have to produce. We have to make it happen. And he says, no, go lower. And by the way, who's gone the lowest of all? Jesus. Who left heaven, creator God, to enter our world as his creation. To become a servant. A poor man born in humble circumstances. He came the lowest and he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then that just boils down to our response. You see, 
The kingdom of heaven's messed up. We rebelled. Jesus comes to offer it back to us, but we have to respond. It's not automatic. And the way we respond is through faith. As a matter of fact, Jesus told a bunch of stories about the kingdom. Like I said, a lot of those stories just about the kingdom are in Matthew 13. And and basically, when it comes to our response, I just want to share the two shortest stories that Jesus told, the shortest parables about the kingdom, just three verses, I think. Says this, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And if you'll notice, kind of the elements of the two stories is, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure or a pearl. It's, it's super value. So the first thing we see is the value. And then there's a cost in order to obtain it. And then the other element we see is joy. And so we kind of get that. And so the value is the kingdom of God. That's very obvious in the story. So we get that. But the other thing is, what about the cost? I mean, how do we pay a cost in the kingdom? Well, for us... The cost is basically a change in priority and a change in authority when it comes to the kingdom of God. A change in priority. What I mean by that is Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so change in priority means that for for us to come to God, we have to give up our crown and recognize that he is the king of the universe and our rightful king, which he is. And so whatever was first in our life before that point becomes a distant second. And we have to clear out that other stuff in order to make room for Jesus to be first in our life. I mean, that's just what that means. Change in priority, but also a change in authority. So authority means that we know God's in charge of us, that he is our rightful king. We are his subjects. And he's given us his word, God's word, the Bible. And so change in authority means that We shouldn't be over the Bible. The Bible should be over us. But when it comes to the Bible, there's only two options. And and those, that's it. Either we're an authority over the Bible or the Bible is an authority over us. I mean, that's really the only two options there is. But typically what happens is this. People will say, well, I'm good with the Bible. I like the Bible. I believe the Bible. I think the Bible's great. I'm down with the Bible. The Bible, good stuff. But when, when the, and, and so the question is, well, then how do you know if the Bible's really an authority over your life? Well, here's how you know. Because there are those topics that the Bible talks about that make you feel uncomfortable. There's the topics that the Bible talks about that really cramp your style. And then the question is, do you place yourself under the Bible or over the Bible? What I'm talking about is when the Bible talks about the tougher stuff that that we really want the crown on in our life. You know, when the Bible talks about um, 
marriage or money or sexuality or forgiveness. We'll read some of those things or know that that's in the Bible and we'll be like, well, you know, my circumstances are a little different. And so although I'm really good with the Bible, I'm not actually going by that. And, And that's how you tell. Because when you're doing that in areas of your life, that means the Bible's not an authority in your life at all. Because basically what you're saying is, the Bible's my authority when I agree with it. We've, we've placed ourselves over Scripture. And we have to deal with that. How, how can we do it? How can we change our priority and, and change the authority in, in our life the way it should be? Well, if we look at the two, two short stories that Jesus told, it's first we just have to understand the kingdom and what it is. That Jesus came to open a door to invite us back into the kingdom. And that means we can have a righteous relationship with God forever. We can enjoy him forever and the door we walk through is the door of faith through Jesus alone and he offers it freely it's just repent and believe change your mind which will lead to a change of actions and believe trust have faith that's it repent and believe and so here's the question have you Come to a point in your life where you've submitted to the authority of God. Where you've thrown your crown down and recognize that God is the authority in your life. And you've repented to change your mind and your actions in line with that through faith and belief or trust in Christ alone. Have you done that? Because that's what God's asking you to do. And that's the most important decision that you can ever make. And that's the only way that you can come back into the kingdom of God and not pay for your sins for an eternity separated from God, which is the right just payment for all of our sins. There's one way. You have one chance. Faith through Jesus. And and by the way, That's my message to those who are here that that don't have a relationship with Christ yet. But those of us who are believers, we got issues too. For those who don't have a relationship with Christ, it's kind of like this. What we learn from the story is to be all in, and we can be all in with joy. Notice when the joy comes. The joy doesn't come in the treasure story after the guy gets the treasure. He buys the field and the treasure is joy. No, that's not joy then. It's already joy when he goes to sell his stuff. 
because he realizes that everything he owns, and again, this is a story of a guy who is just walking across a field. He might even be sharecropping the field. We don't know. He finds a, this treasure in the field. By the way, how many of you hear that story? He finds a treasure in a field. He hides it, and then he kind of sells some stuff and buys it. Seems a little like an integrity issue there. Any, anybody think about that? See, back then, that was kind of common, and there are actually rules about that, actually Roman law, because people, there were no banks. People buried their stuff. Lifespans were short. They didn't want to tell a lot of people where stuff was buried, and if they, something, an accident happened or whatever, and they're gone, all of a sudden, their stuff is just left there, maybe for a few generations until somebody comes along. Roman law is, if you own that land, you own that treasure, it, just to settle all that stuff. Not that that's what Jesus is teaching on or anything. I'm just saying he's talking about the kingdom. But the joy is when he knows. You know, he probably goes back to his basement, apartment, or, or whatever that he lives in. Could you imagine him looking around at his raggedy furniture and his little TV with the rabbit ears and saying, Boy, I don't know if I could sell that. I, I, I might want to keep that. No, he sells it with joy. The joy is already his because he knows about the treasure. He knows about the kingdom. Yeah, I think a lot of times we mess up because we try to embrace Christianity so incrementally. It's kind of like wading in the ocean. You, you walk the beach, right? You guys have walked the beach and you maybe walk the beach a little bit and then those waves come up and, you know, hit your ankles and stuff and, you kind of run, and then you decide to go in. And even then, you know, you go in, it's cold, and then it hits your knees, and then here comes a wave, and it's every wave is like a little piece of torture. You know, it's like, oh, oh, and then we're we're you know, we're going into the water, but when the wave comes, we kind of jump up so it doesn't get as much of a sweat. Hey, what's and why torture yourself? We're better off, right? When we, we just jump in, because as soon as we get in the water, everything's better. Same with Christianity. Trust Jesus. Jump in. Quit torturing yourself. Jump in. That's what you need to do if you're not a believer. And if you are a believer, here's what happens. Because we're born with these crowns, we come to someday, if you're a believer, to recognize, no, God is the rightful king. I need to ditch my crown. And you start living that way. But then what happens is there are certain areas in your life where you start realizing, somehow I got the crown back. And you'll experience habitual sin or you'll be in kind of a rut. And these are the areas in your life where you realize, okay, I'm starting to kind of do this my own way. Even though I know intellectually that's not what God wants for you. But somehow I think I know better than God and this is going to work out for me. And, and we take the crown back. And so every once in a while we just need to take a hard look, examine our own hearts with the help of God's spirit. And figure out, hey God, are there any areas where with kind of subtly this happened where I've actually taken the crown back. And now I've become comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with this area of my life. Even though it's in rebellion against God. Even though it's wrong, I'm good with it now because I'm kind of used to it. And I'm in this rut and it's all kind of, it's going. We are inviting disaster into our lives when we do that through the natural consequences of sin. And we need to get back to where we were. Stop wearing the crown. 
throw it at the feet of Jesus, confess our sin, and recommit to our relationship. Can't ever lose your salvation, not implying that. But when we start wearing a crown habitually in some area, we need to acknowledge that and re-up our commitment to follow God, even when it's hard, even when it cramps our style. So those are the decisions this morning. If, if you've never crossed this line of faith to trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, not church, not religious rituals, trusting faith, belief in Christ and Christ alone, that he paid the price of your sin, that's your only hope. You're bringing nothing to the table. It's all him. That's what it means to become a Christian or as a Christian to realize I've drifted in this area or that area. I need to admit it, confess it, and recommit to following him. I'd like us all to bow our heads. Actually, we're, we're going to do something as you bow your heads. Uh, kind of old school. I'm going to have Jay come. He's going to lead us in a song. It's actually a song of invitation and, and what that means. Some of you may have never heard that before. It, it just He's going he's gonna to play a song. It's actually a song that if you've been a Christian for a long time, you might recognize, I Surrender All. And then during this song, uh, again, going a little old school, invitation means that first of all, if, if you're thinking, well, I don't know that I have crossed that line of faith, we want you to respond. We want you to, to trust Christ. I mean, you could do that in your own seat. It's so simple, but a lot of people have questions, and, and we would love to meet you in room one. In your back, on your side, it's the back right-hand corner of this room. And even during the song, you could just step back into room one. And, and right now, I'll have some pastors head that way, and they'll be able to answer your questions. Pray with you. But if you're a believer, when we close in prayer and we stand and we sing, I just want you to know that the invitation's open, that if you want to, and I don't want to manipulate you emotionally or any other way, but... You know, if you know you've gotten out of step with God in some area of your life, I'd invite you just to come down here to the front, just kneel down in front of this platform or on the steps, and just commit to God, confess it, and recommit to trying to follow him in this area. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are, what you've done for us. You created us, and you love us in spite of our rebellion, and, and even though we shattered the kingdom, we, we messed it up, you, you've made another way a way that accounts for our rebellion that we all have. You've loved us with action. You allowed your son to come and die on the cross for our sins to take our penalty so we could take his righteousness. You give it to us so that we can live under your authority and enjoy you forever. So right now, God, if there's any that don't know you, Father, we pray that you, you would draw them by your spirit and help them to see and respond to you. Maybe even during the song or right afterwards, go back to room one and maybe get some questions answered. Or, or just right now, just pray that they would pray that, that you'd come into their life forever. But God, mainly for us Christians that have gotten off, we've gotten in a rut, or today's the day to admit that confess it and and recommit to following you help us to do that lord while we sing as jay leads us in christ's name amen